Hello and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan with the Hindu in Chennai, your host for today. On Tuesday, the foreign ministers of India, Japan, Australia and the United States met for a second ministerial meeting of the grouping now known as the Quad in Tokyo. What are the outcomes of the Quad meeting? Are all the four countries on the same page when it comes to the elephant in the room, that is China? Joining us today for this podcast from Tokyo is Hiro Akita, who is a senior commentator at Nikkei in Japan. And Akita, on Tuesday, had the chance to interview U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who made very sharp criticisms of China during the meeting in Tokyo. Thank you so much, Hiro, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. To begin with, uh, you, of course, interviewed uh, Secretary of State Pompeo. He made a very strong speech yesterday at the meeting uh, where he actually called on the four countries uh, to resist what he called the challenge from the Chinese Communist Party. And I think he singled out China by name uh, and also mentioned China's role uh, for the pandemic. What was your impression of uh, Pompeo's remarks, both at the Quad meeting and to you in your interview? Thank you very much. There are two uh, notable points, as I remember. First point is that he is willing to institutionalize this Quad framework in the future. And based on that, he also uh, expressed his uh, kind of like a desire that this quad framework will develop into a more uh, multilateral security framework. It is not necessarily like a NATO, but uh, it is kind of like a, a security framework in which uh, quad countries, together with other uh, allies and partners, will cooperate each other, not only on the security arena, but also IPR protection, cyber, and also economic security, a kind of quite holistic framework. That's what he assumes. Yeah, that was the first point. And secondly, uh, during interview, uh, I noticed that he never called China as a Chinese government, but he repeatedly called them China's Communist Party. So basically, he apparently, uh, on purpose, distinguished Chinese government, Chinese people, and Chinese Communist Party. And he basically uh, perceived Chinese Communist Party is not a democratic, of course, it's not democratic uh, government. So he rather, how can I say, discredit uh, implicitly by keep calling them communist party regime. So that shows, give me a deep impression that he has a deep distrust, not only to what the China is doing or saying, but that distrust to its regime, nature of its regime itself, which is more kind of like a tough perception. Yeah, that is what. That is my takeaway, yeah. 
In, in your interview, you mentioned that uh, he seemed very keen to stress that the Quad is not only a military uh, framework, and it's more than that. And you said that it may be a nod uh, to hesitations that perhaps Japan and India might have. Uh, for instance, you mentioned that Japan, of course, uh, has its own reinterpretation of the pacifist constitution. But on the other hand, it may uh, have its own concerns about having this four-member military grouping. You also noted, of course, correctly about India's own history of strategic autonomy. So what was your takeaway uh, from Pompeo trying to be very careful to emphasize the non-military aspects of the Quad to you? Yes. I think that the, Mr. Secretary Pompeo is uh, very aware of the gap, potential gap, among four Quad members. So uh, even during interview, he was quite cautious to impose his concept, future concept of this uh, multilateral security framework. But rather, he tried to elaborate his view that this Quad will evolve gradually by uh, reaching out uh, other countries, and then gradually it will. It is hopeful that this framework will develop to a multilateral security framework. So he's not so kind of like a, uh, strongly try to impo- impose U.S. version of framework. But but having said that, his concept of the future Quad Plus, it seems to me that quite uh, institutionalized uh, framework uh, and it's quite f- holistic. It's a cooperation not only on security, but cyber and economic and also rule of law. So it will exp- uh, stretch to uh, many domains. But on the other hand, uh, Japan, what was interesting is that Prime Minister Suga uh, made basically same express same concerns about the rule of law, maritime security situation, and so on, but he never mentioned the name of China. So the difference is that Mr. Pompeo is, was very explicit to call China as the source of problem, while uh, Mr. Suga, Prime Minister Suga uh, shared the same concern, but uh, never tried to specifically mention the name of China. So this is a difference of the temperature between Japan and U.S. Japan uh, is, U.S. is basically uh, geographically far away, while Japan shares the uh, sea. And we, Japan, also have a Senkaku territorial kind of dispute. And Japanese economic dependency on Chinese market is quite large. So Japan just doesn't want to excessively, unnecessarily provoke China, but wants to quietly uh, build the framework to deter China. So that is a Japanese position. It seems to me that uh, your description of the Japanese position is quite similar, I think, to the Indian position, uh, which is that it wants to, of course, uh, deepen this relationship, but without openly 
talking about China. So I was just reading through the four for the statements that came from the four countries, and it's quite interesting to see the similarities and differences. Uh, I think Japan mentioned the East and South China Seas very specifically. Uh, India did not mention uh, really specifics or mention China in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Australia uh, did mention that states cannot assert maritime claims inconsistent with international law and the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. And of course, Pompeo uh, was the most explicit. Uh, what is your own reading of these uh, slightly four different statements? And uh, how do you think Pompeo's remarks would have been seen in Tokyo, especially because, as you just said, uh, the Japanese government is slightly more careful in how it's framing uh, the agenda of the Quad. Okay. Uh, firstly, for your second point, uh, I think Tokyo, uh, frankly, perceived Mr. Pompeo's remarks in a very positive way, because uh, if because he did not try to impose U.S. position, but he basically independently expressed very very tough position on China. Um, so basically, Japan and India and Australia, I think, could benefit from Mr. Pompeo's tough position without being imposed or forced to accommodate uh, the, uh, that level of the very tough uh, stance on China. So uh, kind of like uh, you, uh, Mr. Pompeo is existence of very, very uh, tough Mr. Pompeo's as a Secretary of State is effectively useful uh, for the uh, rest of other three countries to send a warning signal to China and deter China. And uh, uh, that is a point, uh, number, point number one. And secondly, um, I think uh, yeah, it is apparent apparent that there are, you know, four countries uh, have a difference is of on the position and also degree of uh, degree of uh, threat perception to China. But uh, what was interesting for me is that uh, yesterday uh, four countries finally agreed to somewhat formalize its uh, framework. Concretely speaking, they agreed to hold a foreign ministerial meeting every year. So it's kind of like one step forward to be more institutionalized framework. So bottom line is that though they four countries have a difference of the positions, but four countries share the kind of like an interest to make this framework to be more institutionalized and formalized step by step. That is my uh, observation. That's a great point because I think sometimes we spend too much time looking at the minute differences in their statements. But I think if you look at the bigger picture, Hero, I think it's clear that they really have a lot of shared interests, shared view of the region and a shared view, I think, of where they want this grouping to go. And I think one aspect that all four countries have mentioned is 
looking at uh, non-military uh, fields such as whether it's infrastructure in the region or whether it's COVID-19 recovery or disaster relief. If I can just speak a little bit about Japan here, I think it's clear that a lot of countries are looking for an alternative to the Belt and Road Initiative. And it seems that Japan is perhaps the only country really that has been doing a lot in Asia or the Indo-Pacific, however you want to call it, uh, in supporting projects. How do you think uh, Japan, which has been doing a lot on its own, uh, looks at the Quad as a possible uh, institution to look at, you know, projects that might provide an alternative to countries that are now relying on Chinese financing? Yeah, that is a good point. And Japan uh, wants to, I think that the Japanese government uh, is happy to, of course, push forward infrastructure assistance project by its own, if possible. But uh, obviously, Japanese budget is quite limited. Not the small, but the limited in comparison to that of China. So Japan is very keen to cooperate cooperate with other like-minded country like India, Australia, US, and hopefully other country to coordinate. Uh, to uh, first of all, before coordinate to uh, come up with the good project, and also you know gather information about what is a uh, infrastructure project which is highest priority, and then uh, coordinate uh, assistance and then push forward a, a infrastructure project under uh, more transparent and sustainable and also inclusive way. So Japan obviously hope that Quad uh, will be one of the base for Japan to uh, consult uh, at first when Japan wants to... So for example, for if Japan have some uh, plan on the infrastructure project, and then uh, hopefully Japan wants to, at the first stage, uh, reach out to uh, those uh, three countries and consult, and then based on that, uh, try to reach out other country to come up with the kind of like a, a, a collaborative uh, project to help uh, infrastructure project that could potentially to be a good alternative to China. So that is a plan, I think. How do you think uh, China is going to be looking at uh, Tuesday's meeting and reacting to it? I should let our listeners know that I think, uh, Hiro, you're in a unique position as someone who, uh, as a journalist, you've worked in Washington, you've worked uh, quite a lot in Beijing as well. Uh, So, and you're very familiar, I think, with uh, the Chinese leadership's thinking. So what's your sense of how they are going to be looking at this at a time, especially in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, when they seem to be, uh, I don't know if the right word is assertive, but clearly, if you're looking at the boundary situation with India, if you're looking at the East China Sea, if you're looking at Taiwan, they do seem to be in a very uh, different kind of mood. So what's your sense of how they will be looking at what happened in Tokyo on Tuesday? Yeah, um, I think it is China's reaction is very, very interesting because uh, they are not happy with Quad, Quad, of course, 
And they are not happy, especially to Japan, to host this Quad conference. But at the same time, China's reaction or China's approach to Japan and India and Australia are different. I think the degree of the frustration in Chinese side are about the same, but they uh, adopt very, very tough position approach to Australia. As we know, and they are almost imposing de facto economic sanction. And they are using economic cohesive measure to Australia to pressure them. And in, uh, at the Indian border, they are militarily quite aggressive, as I observe from Tokyo. So they are very tough to India, to India, they are very tough militarily, and to Australia, China is very, very tough economically, but to Japan, they are quite, not soft, but they are quite reserved, or they restrain themselves not to be too uh, aggressive. For example, uh, as soon as Prime Minister Suga inaugurated, uh, not uh, no, no. As soon as uh, Prime Minister Suga uh, won the election to be a top of ruling party, Liberal Democratic Party, uh, not only Li Keqiang, Prime Minister, so his counterpart to Prime Minister Suga, not only Li Keqiang, but also President Xi sent a congratulations a telegram. And also President Xi was willing to set up telephone uh, for telephone uh, conversation with Prime Minister Suga. Uh, usually uh, they are not so uh, kind of, it was kind of prompt, uh, uh, yeah, very quick to set up, agree to uh, that kind of arrangement. And also uh, to Senkaku, they have been, they have kept sending uh, patrol vessels regularly but try not to provoke so much. For example, from uh, August, uh, China's fishermen will enter the season of a fishery uh, in East China Sea. <coughs> so some year, many massive Chinese fishermen's boats try to come to sea uh, areas uh, Senkaku area too. But this year, China obviously tried to control them, prevent them not to approach to Senkaku. So to Japan, uh, mysteriously, they are adopting opposite approach to India and Australia. I My assumption is this. Basically, they, uh, Japan is a, one of the closest ally to U.S. and also Japan accommodate U.S. military presence in Japan. They have, you know, Japan have a U.S. military base in Japan. So, uh, if they, China calculated that if they push Japan too much, maybe it's going to be very, very counterproductive because Japan, U.S. Japan alliance will further enhance very, very rapidly. 
Well, basically, they try to divide U.S. and Japan as much as possible by uh, adopting relatively soft approach to Japan. So I think uh, their kind of aim, uh, their kind of goal, is being halfway halfway achieved because Japan is not as tough as U.S. So that is my observation. Kind of like a, you know, quite complex approach. Finally, a last question, Hiro, if I can ask. Of course, the big political development in Japan uh, yeah. is that the person in many ways was very instrumental in this whole quad idea. Uh, Shinzo Abe is no longer the prime minister. We now have a new prime minister. What should we know about Prime Minister Suga in terms of how you think he's likely to look at the Quad? Is he going to take forward what uh, Shinzo Abe wanted to do? Or are there any differences between the two in how they look at the Quad, how they look at China as well? Okay. Uh, two points. First, uh, in terms of the policy and strategy, Prime Minister Suga share almost uh, same approach as Shinzo Abe. Uh, he has been a chief cabinet secretary uh, for about eight years under Abe administration. Chief cabinet secretary always involve very important policy decision making. So basically, Suga understand the rationale of Abe's foreign policy and security policy. So no substantial change of foreign and security policy. This is the first point. But second point is, as a politician or as a statesman, there are differences between Abe and Suga. I think that I think that Abe have a very strong uh, sense, a strong vision about uh, state and also vision about the history, and he has very strong kind of a, uh, a sense that Japan have to be uh, Japan have to be uh, kind of independent as as much as possible from U.S. So he's kind of like uh, in a way he's a nationalist type of politics, but. Uh, after he became prime minister, he understand he's quite smart person, so he understand the reality of this region and the reality of the changing balance of power, which is more favorable to China. So he tried to contain his nationalist DNA, and then tried to behave as realist politician. So he visited Yasukuni Shrine only once. And he also, uh, for first one or two years, he tried to mention, he tried to, you know, uh, he tr he commented about his version of history interpretation, which is very very conservative and caused some kind of like a debate. But he stopped doing it, and basically he tried to be a very very pragmatic, realist politician. But Mr. Suga doesn't have to do it because he is 
very, very cold realist, pragmatist from the beginning. So in other words, he, I don't think that he has very strong, unique or original vision of the state. Uh, but basically, he is a realist. So criteria for him is that this policy or this agreement are good for Japanese national interest or not. That is the kind of absolute criteria for him, not ideology. Uh, so much less ideology or political kind of like a uh, vision than Abe, whether it is good or bad. That's a very interesting perspective. Uh, Hiroyuki Akita, always a pleasure listening to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. For joining us today Thank from you. Tokyo. Thank you.